Well, Happy New Year, everyone. Whether you like it or not, it is officially 2024. And now the road to the Final Four gets real. Hazards, speed bumps, potholes, and for some, a smoother ride than they could ever hope for. Conference play is off and running, and there is no turning around now. We are talking all things Pac-12 and more today on Locked On Women's Basketball. Oh, that's the wrong one. I did that. Ogumba for the win. You are Locked On Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Cheers, friends. It is Monday, January 1st, 2024. And whether you saw the ball drop in your time zone or you were tucked in sleeping peacefully very early in the evening, I can verify. We have turned the calendar to the next year in 2024. And yes, today is the semifinals of the college football playoffs. So get your picks in. The Rose Bowl kicks off this afternoon. I am Missy Heidrich. Welcome. And I am the national correspondent here at The Next. Thank you for making Lockdown Women's Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. All right. Unless you have been living under a rock for most of 2023, it was another crazy year in the world of college athletics. We can talk about NIL. We can talk about conference realignment. We can talk about conference implosion, coaching changes, transfer portal madness. We have had it all. So as we flip the calendar to 2024, we are in the deep end of conference play now in the world of college basketball. And one of the best in the nation is the Pac-12. In the last year, as we know it, this league is beyond good. Who is hot? Who is living up to the billing? What records are set to be broken this season? Here to talk all of that and more is my amazing colleague at The Next and a veteran journalist in the world of women's basketball and women's sports and a Pac-12 guru, or so I think, Michelle Smith. <laughs> Happy New Year, Michelle. Thank you so much for coming on with me. Let's hit this at the very beginning because it's amazing to think that there's one, two, three, four, five teams right now. And in full disclosure to everyone, it is 1045 central time, 845 on the West coast where Michelle is the new AP poll for January 1, 2024 is not dropped. But as we sit here right now, five teams ranked in the top 25 in the PAC 12. This thing is loaded. People have been talking about it and it seems as though it is absolutely coming true. What stands out to you as they've turned the corner now to the first part of 2024? Well, first of all, Happy New Year. I should have brought my party hat um, <laughs> if I had one. Um, you know, it, it's that, you know, this, they had an incredible non-conference, Pac-12 did, with some really big, you know, statement wins, Colorado beating LSU, USC opening up against Ohio State and getting that win you know, UCLA beating UConn, like they're just, there's just these wins that have gone through that have really showed, you know, I mean, you have to prove it on the court. The Pac-12 probably is the deepest um, and the most top heavy conference in women's basketball. You know, best is, best, it's, it's, let's see how their conference shakes out, but 
this is going to be a grind in the last Pac-12 season. I mean, these teams playing each other, we're already starting to see it. Mm-hmm. You know, we had some pretty high profile this weekend. We opened with rivalry games and we opened with Utah, Colorado, and we opened with SC and UCLA. Yeah. I mean, these are, you know, these are matchups between ranked, highly ranked teams, not just ranked teams, like highly ranked teams. And they were great games. And I think this is like, this is the sneak preview of what the Pac-12 is going to look like. And we've got great games coming up next weekend. And the weekend after that, like you're going to have matchups that you're going to circle in this Pac-12 calendar every weekend. Well, and I think one of the things, as we always say, is that the, the message once you hit conference play, I've got to be able to hold home court and I'm going to have to go somewhere and steal a couple on the road mm-hmm. to be able to give myself a chance. And we see all of these teams sort of the cream rising to the top early on. But I think we would be remiss if you don't start with what UCLA has been able to put together here in the non-con, what they've done sitting at number two. I know there are some voters out there with a bit of consternation over the weekend saying, do you put them number one? Are they as strong? Does their comp, does their schedule match up to what South Carolina has done? Have they been as effective? I think it's a question that some people are going to try to figure out, but as you said, the first weekend of, you get a rivalry matchup with UCLA and USC and it was a sellout. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about the vibe in LA because it seems as though women's basketball has jumped on the radar and everybody is taking notice. We actually have a vibe in LA. That's the story. <laughs> I mean, honestly, LA has been, you know, like some of our best play- players in the country come out of Southern California and, you know, and all of those years, and it's not that UCLA and USC haven't been good at, you know, I mean, UCLA has been a damn good program for quite a long time now under Corey Close and even a little bit before that, but you've got Jordan Canada and Monique Billings and I mean, Kennedy Burke, and you talk about these players that have come out of that program and SC's kind of ridden up and down a little bit more, obviously. And I've been in a lot of games at the Galen Center at USC where it is nearly empty. And I remember back in the day, 15 years ago, when the Pac-12 tournament was in Los Angeles, when they put the men and women's tournament together at Staples, and it was not full. And, you know, and I'm not going to call it anybody specifically, but, you know, and the major newspapers down there were not covering women's basketball. Yeah. We're not paying attention. And times have changed, whether it's whether it's the interest in those two schools moving to the Big 12, I mean, Big 10, sorry, Surly. Um, or but obviously the players I mean so UCLA is really built right now Mm -hmm. they're built in a lot of ways to win Uh, I don't know I don't know if they're number one I don't know if I'm quite close if I want to be number one I mean it's a ranking it's a number in front of your name for a period of weeks that adds a lot of pressure to your team Mm -hmm. Um, you know maybe it's more comfortable sitting pretty at number two and really, really playing well and not having that added pressure of being number one. I, you know, and until they played somebody, if they had common opponents, which they don't, and you could do, you know, and you could sort of score compare and things, but I'm not ready to make, I'm not ready to move that needle yet. Okay. Um, that being said, UCLA is pro- is pretty close to as talented as South Carolina, I would imagine. Um, you know, you've got a fifth year senior point guard, Charisma Osmore, who runs that thing like clockwork. Yeah. You've got shooters, you've got, you know, London Jones, who put up a big number against USC. You've got Kiki Rice, who's such an exciting player. You've got Lauren Betts inside now, who was really a missing piece for them. They needed size inside. They needed a dependable scorer inside. Mm-hmm. They've got all of that now. So I'm really, really impressed with UCLA and also, 
you know, not sure they want to be number one. I mean, yeah. it really does change, you know, it's just mm-hmm. a number for a period of weeks, but it just adds this layer of something onto it. And so, you know, not that they're under the radar at number two, but no, I'm Corey close. I'm just happy to stay at two. No, I'm absolutely, I, I think you're right. And I just think it's going to be interesting because I think it does lend um, in even greater conversation that you like that people are actually talking about that to say, okay, what do I do? And if that's the way it is, a few years ago, people wouldn't have thought that that would have been the conversation with the UCLA. They would always said, well, if you're going to say a Pac-12 team that's going to be thinking about being number one, it's probably got to be Stanford. Or at the time, it was Arizona, Oregon. Mm-hmm. UCLA on this radar. I think the the, the quietness around, um, I, I guess it's not quiet, but they are at 10 and one. And that was the first loss. But is this USC program? And I, I had somebody the other day and I said, you know, uh, they were a, a USC alum that lives here in the Midwest. And I said, well, if you know anybody that knows anybody, you might want to make sure they keep Lindsay Gottlieb in that program. Yeah. Um, because to me, it seems as though that has been the difference maker for USC, her ability to recruit, her ability to sell her message and Absolutely. to be able to get these young women to come there and buy in. And a talent like Juju Watkins just does not walk in anybody's door no. anytime. Um, I think she's got this thing humming now where it's going to be very, very difficult to knock them off their course. Yeah. And I, you know, I've known Lindsay a long time and even when she was the head coach at Santa Barbara and then came over as an assistant or came, was an assistant at Cal, Santa Barbara, back to Cal and now at USC. And I think that couple of years at the Cleveland Cavaliers really sort of changes the game for her. And just in a recruiting standpoint, what she can tell players about what she can do for them, what this program can do for them that if they can turn the lights on in Los Angeles for somebody like Juju Watkins and have celebrities and athletes and people courtside, that she can do that for them too and get the top players in the country. Like, you know, Lindsay's very, very smart. She's very cerebral. She's very much a player's coach. And if I'm in the big town, I'm a little scared. Yeah. Recruiting wise. Yeah, I would I would absolutely agree with you. And let's just remember when you move into that league and now all of a sudden you go coast to coast, it becomes a little bit more national and kids take notice. And Mm -hmm. that may be something that absolutely is um, a draw for a young woman that lives in New Jersey or in Carol in the Carolinas and says, you know what, USC seems like a pretty good deal to me. In the short term, you're saying those kids are saying, I want to play with Juju Watkins. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? In the short term, that's what they're saying. Uh-huh. Um, and in the longer term, you know, I could be the next Juju Watkins, mm-hmm. right? So I think it's really, really interesting and they're going to be super dangerous. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Okay. When we come back, there are more teams and players that are taking not only women's basketball by storm, but they're rising to the top of the Pac 12. And we are going to talk about them in just a moment. Well, the NFL regular season is wrapping up, but there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. The app is so easy to use, and there are so many different ways to bet, like live game parlays, Find bets in the new Explore tab. Make a parlay into the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays, and more. I live in Kansas City. Obviously, the Chiefs pulled one off. Michelle is on the West Coast, 49er universe out there, and Brock Purdy. There are options all over the place, so get to FanDuel. 
Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, the official partner of the NFL. Hi, everyone. I am Missy Heydrich, and thank you for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. Locked On has launched the first ever national 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here, and for your 24-7 covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts on Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. So go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national 24-7 streaming channel. I am here with Michelle Smith and Michelle, we're talking about all things Pac-12 women's basketball. They've gotten off and running. There are one, two, three, four, five, six teams sitting at one and oh. We've got to talk about the Utah-Colorado matchup that was over the weekend. I pulled this box score and if you look at it, I'm like, holy smokes, there was a lot of points scored in this game. A little bit deceiving. I think the Utah box, Utah box scores may be upside down a bit. Because they look different. They look different than what people had imagined that they would. So let's talk about the Utes for a minute, what Lynn Roberts is doing, sort of having to play the chess game with her lineup Mm -hmm. because it looks different. But it is a really good thing when you have the reigning Pac-12 player of the year in your lineup that is the go-to player for you. Yeah, so Utah lost Gianna Napkins five, six games ago to a season-ending knee injury, their best shooter, perimeter player experience. And I think right now they're still trying to figure out, they're making that adjustment. They're in that period of trying to figure out how to play without her. At the moment, it looks like it's translating to asking more of Alyssa Peely, the reigning Pac-12 player of the year. Say that fast. Um, But, you know, there are players like Kennedy McQueen. There are players like Jenna Johnson, who she needs more from. Right. And, you know, those are the players that are, you know, Gianna Neepkins was scoring almost 18 points a game. Yeah. And this is a really high powered offense, but you can't just take out 18 points a game and expect that it's going to come from other places. You have to, those people have to step up. And right now, Alyssa Peely's carrying sort of trying to make up for that slack. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, as they get deeper into the Pac-12 and they played a really good defensive team against Colorado. Yes. Really, really good defensive team not everybody's going to be that good defensively, but there are also going to be some teams that can score with them. Um, You know, UCLA, Stanford, you know, there's going to be some teams that can put up some points. Yeah. So I think that, you know, Alyssa Peely can't carry it. And so I think Johnson and and McQueen in particular have to do more. The Buffaloes, they landed quickly, as you said earlier, on the national stage with that win over LSU in Las Vegas, the first weekend of regular season play back in November. It seems like ages ago. But since then, this has just been a continuation of what they've done. 11-1 and one so far, as you said, J.R. Payne has built this program on defense. They've kind of incrementally climbed some of those mountains around Boulder to put themselves in the national conversation, sitting in the top 10. They'll be there again, I'm sure, uh, when the new poll comes out later today. Uh, but this is one of the most experienced, one of the most balanced teams, I think, across the country. And that makes them a formidable force in the Pac-12. You can't replace experience. You, that's just something you can't put in a bottle. You have to have it. These young women have gone through the trenches. They've gone through the grind of what that conference looks like, what stands out to you about Colorado, and who is going to be some of their best competition. So not to minimize the, cons- the 
the contributions of anybody else, but Jalen Sherrod and Aaronette Bonley mm-hmm. are like that inside out thing that they've got going on. Bonley, I think, is an underrated player. I think she's she has some really, really does some really, really good things for them, but needs to stay out of foul trouble. Yeah. Um, and Jalen Sherrod is just, I just love, love, love watching this kid play. I love the expressions on her face. She's so quick. Her step, you know, off the dribble, you cannot guard her. She's going to get to the rack. She's just, you know, I love her intensity and, you know, she's been there a long time. There's nobody more experienced. And when your emotional tone setter is Jalen Sherrod, you're in good shape. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that she keeps them. I think she keeps the intensity up. I think she keeps the focus up. And 34 for her for a career high, like it was super fun to see. And, you know, and you've got that just sort of that sort of stare that she gets when she's really intense. And then that smile on her face when it's over, like she loves this. And she came back because she loves this. And so the inside and outside with her and Von Ley is great. But then they've got great, you know, they've got, you know, Frida Foreman, who has shown in big games that she will really do some good things for you. And Kendall Weta and Quay Miller is an experienced post inside. I mean, they've got good pieces and they're, and they play great defense. And I think that that's, while I am always a, I don't think defense wins you the national championship, it'll win you a lot of conference games <laughs> against teams that don't quite have their offensive act together. You can defend them right out of a game. And I think that Colorado is going to do that to quite a few people in the Pac-12. Well, and you mentioned the buzz. We said earlier it was a sellout for the UCLA-USC game over the weekend. Over 7,300 fans at the CU Event Center in Boulder. I think women's basketball is back on their map there in Colorado. Um, And and for someone that played Colorado, Big 8, Big 12, in the Sealberry days, and what that looked like when they were running through the league and winning and beating everybody, there was always great crowds in Boulder. And that kind of faded off. And so you got to give credit to what J.R. Payne has done. And I think people collacing around how hard this team plays, the energy, the pace, and the excitement that they do that with, it's going to make them a formidable foe. One of the other teams that we mentioned earlier before we went on here to record was, it sits at 1-0, 12-0 undefeated, um, still not ranked, very well could jump into the AP poll because I know they've been receiving votes, mm-hmm. is Scott Rook's team at Oregon State. Now, I think it's interesting because over the course of the last two weeks, there has been some, um, I guess, finalization of what the world is going to look like for Oregon Mm -hmm. State and Washington State with conference realignment. Their move, a two-year agreement to be part of the West Coast Conference. So at least some of that maybe dies down. My question to you is this. Does that change the what happens on these campuses? Is it changing what's going on in those locker rooms and with these programs? Or do they just simply say, you know, we've got a laser focus on this last year of the Pac-12 and put ourselves in a position to be in the NCAA tournament? Yeah. I Knowing Scott Ruick, I think it's probably the latter. I think he's probably going to focus heavily on this season, what he has, what he can do with what he has. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got a lot of talent, but they just haven't played anybody yet. I right. mean, they just... They're 12 and 0, but they played, you know, nine, 10 straight games at home. They went on the road, nine games at home, didn't play anybody really. They played Vanderbilt and Texas Tech, but neither of those are ranked teams. Right. And then they had a good win yesterday in a rivalry game against Oregon. But as we know, Oregon's had some bad losses. Yeah. And, you know, so it's hard to tell. It's hard to measure where Oregon State is against Oregon. But I also think that there are probably some teams in the Pac 12 that are not super excited to see Oregon State coming in. Reagan Beers is a spectacular player. She's yes. great. 
Um, we know Tamia Gardner had to sit out most of, well, a lot of last year because she had the blood clot situation, which we wrote about the next. And she was their top re rated recruit ever in the history of that program. And so she's starting to heat up a little bit. You've got, again, an experienced point guard in Talia Von Olhoffen. Mm -hmm. You've got their three-point shooting team. This, you know, like Oregon State has the pieces to be really dangerous. It's just hard to assess them at this point. Yeah. It's hard to assess them relative to other Pac-12 teams because other Pac-12 teams have better barometers. But Oregon and Oregon's going to Oregon State's going to LA this weekend. Mm -hmm. So we'll find out. We're gonna find out pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Because for everybody to remind everyone in the Pac-12, they've got travel partners. So they do it's usually a Thursday, Saturday swing and they're gonna go. So for Oregon, Oregon State, they're headed to LA. They'll get the USC, they're gonna get UCLA. And I think that will tell you a lot about who will tell us a are. lot. It will tell us I think it will answer a lot of questions. And if they come out of that weekend, even with a split, then I think Oregon State is a pretty dangerous team. Um, yeah, they're just, I don't have enough to go on yet with them. And, you know, there's there's the eye test, which is you've got talent. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you got to play somebody. And so I'm waiting. We'll see. <laughs> It I is all going to be good. I think they're going to be good. Yeah. No, I'm with you. And I think sometimes it just comes down to what do those W's actually mean and who have you played and where does that go? All right. In just a moment, we are going to look ahead to some more Pac-12 storylines, but one of the biggest is an amazing record that is going to be broken at some point this winter in Palo Alto, California. Michelle and I are going to talk about that when we come back. But first, a message from our friends at Prize Picks. All right, Prize Picks is the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. They're the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. It's just you against the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more than or less than a on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. With the basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that include two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, you can go with LeBron James from the Lakers and Travis Kelsey from the Chiefs at a 10.5 combo of three-pointers made and receptions. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what makes Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. So go to prizepicks.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. It is highly, we want you to know, that daily fantasy sports are made easy at Price Picks. Hi, everybody. Missy Heydrich, and thank you so much for joining us here on Lockdown Women's Basketball. I'm with Michelle Smith, as I always like to say, the guru of everything known to Pac-12 and the West Coast and the world of women's sports and women's basketball. Michelle, um, I think it would be remiss if we don't talk about the Stanford Cardinal squad. Still ranked in the top 10, uh, number nine after this week. They're 12-1 and one overall. Um, they are 1-0 and oh in the Pac-12. But And this is an interesting team. I think there was a lot of questions about Stanford coming in. Um, they looked very different than they did a year ago. But when you return someone like Cameron Brink, it's really hard to, to argue with the fact that they can be incredibly good and, and very dominant 
when necessary. A player like Hannah Jump, who can just literally shoot the basketball from anywhere on the floor. I mean, you have to literally guard her Mm -hmm. when she gets off the bus. Um, But there is another storyline that I think, um, and I hope, and I know you are going to be talking about it more and more as the season goes on, and one that I hope people continue and will take notice of, and that is Tara Vanderveer's long-term success, what she has done, and the records that she's getting ready to break here over the course of the next month or two in college basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, talk a little bit about what that is, and really, you've seen it up close and personal, but the Tara Vanderveer effect on not only college athletics, women's athletics, but women's basketball. So Tara is in a position um, as early, I think, as January 19th. It could happen if they keep winning um, to become college basketball's all-time winningest coach to pass Mike Krzyzewski, Duke's Mike Krzyzewski, uh, with 1,202 wins. Um, So she will hit the 1,200 milestone, which is in and of itself just a gigantic number. Um, And then within a couple of games, a couple more wins, she'll pass Mike Krzyzewski. Um, and it's, and I, you know, I should know, you know, she passed, she broke Pat Summit's record and obviously Pat passed and her career, um, and she had to retire because of her illness and that stopped at that point. And Krzyzewski's chosen to retire and at 70, Tara is still going. Um, and Gino's right on her heels. He's about, you know, I want to say, I don't know the exact number at this point because it, Connecticut's lost a couple of games, frankly, but I think he's probably eight or nine games behind her, Mm -hmm. um, just behind her. And so, um, but Tar is a singular figure in women's basketball um, in many ways. You know, she was, you know, the West Coast was not, USC had, it was having its success and obviously created the careers of Cheryl Miller and Cynthia Cooper and the McGee twins and that. But she elevated West Coast women's basketball, obviously, with her arrival at Stanford way back in 1986. Mm -hmm. Um, Three national championships, you know, all those final fours. I should have all these numbers off the top of my head, but, you know, but we know what Tara's done. But what Tara has also done beyond the wins and the records and and the final fours and things is she has been an unrelenting supporter of women in this Mm -hmm. game. Yeah. Um, she is, you can ask any number of coaches who will tell you a story about whether they had a really good day or a really bad day. And one of their first phone calls was from Tara, mm-hmm. who even at the, you know, even on the bus on the way back from her own game is calling to check. I mean, Lynn Roberts told me that one of the first calls she got about Gianna Neepkins was from Tara telling yeah. her how sorry she was to hear it. Um, you know, the number of coaches who call her for mentorship and advice and mm-hmm. say, hey, I've got a sticky situation here. What would you do? What would Tara do? Um, She's not bombastic, obviously. Mm -hmm. She's not, she's still got that very Midwestern countenance about her just in terms of, you know, she's, but the, the players that she has brought through that program, you know, if you look at the executive ranks in the NBA, for example, is littered Mm -hmm. with Stanford women's basketball program program graduates. Yeah. Um, You've got, you know, you've got such diverse careers. I mean, Susan Borchard, who is the trainer extraordinaire for women's basketball, who, you know, Sue Bird, you know, Sue Bird, Diana Tarazi, Kelsey Plum, all these players, she played at Stanford. Mm -hmm. Jane Appel, who is um, high up in the WNBA Players Association, who played at Stanford. 
there's, you know, I mean, even some, you know, and such a diverse thing, Kate Starbird, Professor Starbird at University of Washington is one of our leading nation's leading experts on misinformation mm -hmm. and, um, and online misinformation. I mean, all of them came through and then there's her coaching tree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could do this. Honestly, I could do this <laughs> day because it's because it would take all day really to talk about it. Mm -hmm. But she's a really, really singular figure in the game. And so for her to have this record, I think is appropriate. You know, I think that maybe there are people who might think, hey, she only only has three national championships and there was a huge gap between those. Mm -hmm. Or there were too many times when they reached a final four and they didn't finish the job or whatever. But the consistency, you know, you know, Connecticut hasn't been, you know, of late been able to maintain that national championship consistency. He set an awfully high bar yes. um, at Connecticut. And the fact that they haven't won in a while is, you know, starting to weigh on that program a little bit, right? What's happened at Tennessee after Pat passed and then Holly and now Kelly, and they're not, you know, and it's hard getting it going. But to think that Tar has sustained it, has maintained it mm -hmm. through different kinds of players, different, you know, you, you look different with the Ogumakes on the floor than you do with, you know, Cameron Brink and Haley Jones on the floor and, or even this year, Cameron Brink and Hannah jump on the floor. You look mm -hmm. different than you did back in the day when you've got Jennifer AZ and Val yeah. you know, I mean, so I don't know what else there is to say, except that I think that there are a lot of people in the country who admire her, mm -hmm. who, um, who look to her as a leader and as a supporter of women through the, um, you know, through Women's Sports Foundation. She's got a fellowship program for women's coaches and she puts her money where her mouth is. She's, you know, with the start of the Ukraine war a couple of years ago, she used the NCAA tournament as a fundraising opportunity for people in Ukraine. I mean, she just, you know, it's just Tara. Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing is interesting. I heard it, uh, a interview the other day with the Stanford football coach um, on the radio and it was around signing day and it was the conversation about how it is different at a place like Stanford when you think about their academic requirements and what that looks like and so now you have to go through uh, an individual who has won and is going to win over 1200 basketball games at an institution where you have very high bar where there's a conversation with these young women, <clears throat> excuse me, when they're juniors and seniors in high school about where their academic standing is going to have mm -hmm. to be so that they can not only come to Stanford, but then thrive in that environment. You can't just take any transfer. It doesn't mm -hmm. work that way. Mm -hmm. I think that's unique. And I think um, it doesn't happen everywhere. And for so for all of the things that we see in the wild, wild west of college athletics, there is a there's there's just something that has created a, a very it's not necessarily a vacuum i guess would be is not the right word but it, it it's a it's a lane and it is a lane of which it has worked and tara vanderveer has found a way to win in that lane mm -hmm. um mike shesky i think probably dealt with it as well at duke and their national championships were spread out too so mm -hmm. maybe this is just a great example of Yes, the system changes all around us, but yet we stay true to who we are. Well, and I would, yes. And, and she's always stayed true to who she is, by the way, by being, though, a lifelong learner and saying, 
this, what, what's going to work for my team this year didn't work for my team last year. You know, you know, am I going to run the triangle? Am I going to, you know, just, you know, devour warriors game tape and see how much, you know, and see if we can win shooting the three this year. And because I don't have as much, you know, I don't have the post, although let's be honest. I mean, Tara, it's like the, you know, the, the trees are the perfect, you know, it's the perfect mascot over there because the number of years that she's just brought big kids off the bench, just in waves. Is one crazy. after the other, one um, after the other. But yeah, I mean, it's just, again, it's a singular achievement and it's a singular person in the game. Um, and I think she's got, she's just, she's different than, she's different than anyone else. And it's, you know, and her longevity is because of that. Mm -hmm. Her consistency is because of who she is. Mm -hmm. um, and she's not for everybody. And, you know, and we've had, you know, we've had a couple of players. And in this new era that we're in, we're going to see, we, we may see more of that. They may have, you know, their transfer rules are really, really different. Mm -hmm. If you're a grad transfer, you have to decide the previous November. So I've been watching. There's a couple of kids that have declared already that they're going to enter the transfer portal in fall and you know one of those things that makes me wonder is is are those kids headed toward palo alto because you have to decide in november in palo alto if you want to transfer right and you know to be able to come to stanford to be a grad transfer she can't just take anyone nope. i mean the number of times i've heard her say that she goes to some of these big aau tournaments and things and looks at kids and then leans over to her assistant coaches and the coaches go can't get her in right like, you know i mean you know it's legit like that that is something they've managed and dealt with for decades mm -hmm. and that's and it's not changing that is that yeah. is the way that it works yeah. you they've got administration people on their campus that work with them and they manage but that is the setup and right. within that setup she's won 1200 games or is going to win 1200 games and is going to win more than that yeah and that, to me that seems pretty darn amazing yeah it's incredible yeah um all right so I also think it's fantastic because my hope is it will continue to spine, not only shine a spotlight on what Coach Vanderveer has done, but on Pac-12 women's basketball over the course of the next couple of months. I think there'll be even more eyes looking uh -huh. and watching, and I think yeah. that could be a really good thing. I think so, too. Yes. All right. Michelle Smith, where does everybody find you as we start the brand new year? You're going to find me on the next, and you'll find me on X, I guess. That's what we call it. <laughs> Um, you know, find me on Twitter, um, um, at MaxSmith413, and, you know, I'm going to be out and about at Pac-12 Games, and we're going to see some good stuff. Can't Absolutely. Wait. All right. Well, we have got it covered, everybody, and thank you so much, Michelle. Happy New Year to you and yours. It has been awesome to talk to you today. You can find me at Missy Hydric on X, formerly known as Twitter, whatever we want to call it, and then make sure you go and find all of my amazing college, which includes Michelle. You can follow this podcast at Locked on WBB and then get to www.thenexthoops.com. We have you covered every single day. Thank you for making Locked on Women's Basketball your first listen today. Locked on has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked on Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked on, plus our national shows, covering every league. So go to Locked On Sports today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. Happy New Year, everyone. Cheers to you and yours as we get ready for an amazing 2024.